yeah, we're live. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. We were here last year, uh, and it was a privilege getting to be here. It's uh, a treat to get to be here again. I wanted to um, start us off actually with sharing, um, sharing a bit about us. We're, we're missionaries with the International Mission Board. We serve in Southeast Asia and um, on an island of about three million Muslims. And so um, I, I wanted to start this time with a uh, time of praising our great God, we have these statistics that we received at the beginning of 2021, and this is stats from 2020. Uh, and so I want to share them with you because it's an amazing highlight. What it does, it breaks down 2019 to 2020. We saw around the world, this is from IMB Efforts, uh, over 500,000 gospel witnesses in the year of 2019. What we saw in 2020, though, this is amazing, that 769,000 people heard the gospel around the world. So again, this is the year of COVID. This is lockdowns. In many countries around the world, we had missionaries who were stuck in their apartments for months at a time, uh, only allowed to go to the grocery store an hour a day. And so this was God's work. God was not slowed down from COVID. I shared that with you guys last year, and this is a testimony of that again. Uh, 89,000 new believers in 2019, and in 2020, over 144,000 people came to Christ. So we praise God for that. Um, we, we praise our God for that. That's an amazing testimony of what he did through 2020. And then in this last one, new fellowship starter. Over, over 12,000 new churches started around the world through IMB efforts. And in 2020, over 18,000 started. So we praise our God and we, we lift up that testimony and, and praise him for that. But also turning it to you, I thank you guys for your prayer support for your giving support, because you're giving in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering toward the International Mission Board. That directly impacts missionaries like my family and I around the world, um, but it also helps in sending out more missionaries. The IMB continues to send out missionaries every year, and so we appreciate your support. Uh, we appreciate you uh, letting us come here and speak and get to, get to know you guys more, and, um, and so we thank you. We thank you for your continued support, because it does impact um, our opportunities to continue to make disciples in our community. Our community happens to be in Southeast Asia, um, but you guys are a part of that, and so we thank you, um, and I will, and so then I'll, tr I'll transition this morning to what I'll be sharing about, which is making disciples in Southeast Asia, and I'll be sharing from John chapter 1 uh, this morning, so you can turn your Bibles there now if you'd like, and I'll be praying for us, and then I'll read the passage aloud. So it'll be John 1, we'll start in 35, we'll be going to 42, I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Thank you for these highlights from last year. You continue to advance your kingdom, Lord. You are not slowed down. Uh, we also lift up Los Angeles to you and ask that you would continue to make disciples through us, Lord. We are your servants. Use us, Lord. Open our hearts to your word today so that we would be encouraged, that we would go, that we would respond. And we pray the same for Southeast Asia. Continue working, Lord. Thank you for giving us the privilege, Lord, that we get to make disciples for your glory. You give us this opportunity. You give us this privilege. Thank you, Lord. Um, we praise you for your son being revealed to us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's read from John 1. Starts in, I'm starting in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him saying this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. 
Andrew, uh, and so what we see here, oh, sorry, I got cut off. Um, so what we see here, they're staying, they spent the day with him. How the passage ends uh, in verse 42 through the end, uh, help me out here, guys. One of the two who heard John speak, followed him, Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Um, and so what we have here is, um, is a picture of an enthusiastic heart for the Messiah. Um, just to make it simple this morning for us, I broke this passage down to three little sections. And this first one is what we see first. We see these disciples who have heard that the Messiah is coming. Their teacher, John the Baptist, repeats this, passage, this message that the lamb, it's the Lamb of God and the two disciples leave to seek Jesus. So the big point here is that the Messiah's anticipated reveal was met with open hearts, with enthusiastic hearts of these two disciples. Um, and, and John's statement in saying that this is the Lamb of God, this is a reference to his testimony the day before, verse 29, which I didn't read, but in verse 29, that's where John the Baptist first says, Behold the Lamb of God, you may have heard this before, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. This is a huge, this is an important passage for us as believers, for us as uh, missionaries in Southeast Asia. This is an important passage. And he's referencing his message from the day before, but he's also connecting into his disciples' minds what they know from the Old Testament, which is a daily sacrifice of the lamb. This is uh, listed in Exodus 29. This daily sacrifice of the lamb was done in the temple court for the atoning of sin and it was done daily as a continual reminder of the continual need for a blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin and so he taps into his disciples minds and saying this is the lamb of god the final sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world as a connection that jesus is our final sacrifice his blood is enough. His blood is continual. His blood is everlasting. And so that's what John the Baptist here is doing, is he's connecting to, to Jesus' ministry and connecting what these disciples of his know from the Old Testament and sacrifice so that they will follow Jesus, so that they will enthusiastically follow after Jesus. Uh, and then I, connect, I brought up our, our ministry as well. This is a linchpin. This is an important passage in our sharing with Muslims. Uh, the reason is, is because Muslims actually have a really good understanding of blood sacrifice. They see it often. They see it growing up. It's a normal part of their lives. It's a normal part of Muslim life in Southeast Asia. And so the reason why I say this one's so important is that our team actually uses passages from the Old Testament to tap into that worldview of Muslims and connect with stories like Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve in, in, in Genesis 3, there's the fall of man. And Adam and Eve, the first sacrifice that's done in the Bible is from God who sacrifices an animal and clothes Adam and Eve after they've sinned. The next one, Cain and Abel, you know, the brothers. Abel has a blood, an animal sacrifice from his flock, and it's accepted by God. We use that story to point to Jesus. Also, Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham takes his son Isaac all the way to the mountaintop after God's order, and then at the last minute, God saves him and replaces the, the Son as a sacrifice with the ram. That's a blood sacrifice that we use stories like that, that Muslims know these stories, and we tap into their worldview and use them to point to Jesus. 
Uh, and so this is an important passage for us. This is an important passage for our Muslim friends. Um, and it all is because of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So John's ministry was a build-up to this moment. That's what we see here. John's ministry is a build-up to this moment. The disciples are with him that day, and they jump at the opportunity. What we see here is that there's no hesitation from these young disciples when the greatest gift walks near them. They jump at it. They're ready for it. Their hearts are ready. Um, The disciples' hearts were prepared, and that was God's doing. And so they had been learning about who he was, what the Messiah would do, what the role this Messiah would play, and how their faith was going to change. And so they were ready, and they jumped at it. And what's interesting here is that it's John's job for his disciples to abandon him. It's John's job the whole time to point them to Jesus, and it takes serious humility for him because it's easy as a teacher to be propped up. Maybe your uh, pride is, is, is built up a little bit. And so it's a piece of humility here that I want us to take away where John points his followers to Jesus. And when it's time, he, he lets them go. And so... Uh, an example from the field is uh, in cross-cultural ministries, the same thing. It can, it's easy to be able to prop yourself up when people come to you for knowledge, when people come to you as a new believer and they want to learn more, they're eager to learn more. It's easy for them to turn to you. And what my job is, is I want to turn them to Jesus as much as possible. Because COVID is a prime example. I may not always be there. We were stranded here for months. Uh, we're hoping to get back at the beginning of the year after our third baby's born. And so this is a prime example. And so one example from the field is my buddy Jay. Uh, Jay's a great guy, fun to be around. Uh, we enjoy getting coffee together, and, and, I, and I'm a part of his discipleship. But I noticed with Jay, he has an interesting back-and-forth story. He was born in a Christian community on a Christian island, so he grew up under traditional Christianity. He moved away from his family for work and actually converted to Islam when he met a Muslim woman. So he wanted to marry her. That was prerequisites for marrying her. The blessing from the dad was you got to become a Muslim. And so he became a Muslim, married this young woman. Uh, They have two children together. And then a few years later, he actually came in contact with our team where we shared the gospel with him, and he recommitted his life to the Lord. He's walking in the faith right now. He's a believer in Jesus. And what was interesting with Jay was upon seeing him develop and growing, I noticed that when we would have coffee with him, when we would be at another discipleship meeting with him, I'd ask him, how's your time in the Word going? How is the fruits, how how is it sharing with family and friends? Um, Some important attributes that you would want to see in a new believer, and he would come back with no report, with no new news. And what we quickly realized was that Jay was relying on us. Well, this isn't, this isn't the goal. This isn't what we want. We don't want a new believer relying on us. We want to point them to Jesus. And so what we realized was we had to set up Jay with some simple tools to grow in his relationship with Jesus. What that looks like is a devotional time. So that's what we started with with Jay. We helped him in, giving to, and in showing him the importance of a devotional time in the morning with the Lord or whatever time of day so that he can grow a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's what we did. We pointed Jay to Jesus. So you can continue praying for Jay as he grows in his faith. Uh, He is actually, from that time, he's shared his faith with his family. Uh, They have not come to believe yet, but he's had opportunities to share with them. So you can pray for those seeds that have been sown and pray for his roots in the Lord. And the application for all of us here 
is it's really simple. What do we do with the revealed Messiah? That's the question I want to pose to all of us today. What do we do with the revealed Messiah? Because Jesus has been revealed to us. We live in a time of history. Jesus has been revealed. He's the Messiah. We believe in him. This is our application. We run to Jesus. From this first uh, section, this is our this is this is our to do from this first pa- this first part of the passage. We are to run to see to Jesus, and so what we see in the second part once um once these two disciples run to Jesus, we see that their hearts are ready to receive. We have two disciples um, who join Jesus for teaching, and they jump at an amazing opportunity to be face to face with the, this Messiah they've learned about and. Um, wanted to spend time with, and they finally have the opportunity, and they run to him. And so the Lord prepares the hearts of those who will follow him. And that's what I want to point out here, is that God prepped these disciples for this moment. He used his messenger, John, and he grew a desire in these young disciples to follow after Jesus. And now Jesus took it from there. He's God in the flesh. He took it from there, and he used this opportunity to continue drawing these disciples toward him by saying, a question, by, fra- by putting a question in front of them. What do you want? What do you want? And so the disciples respond, we, we want to know where you're staying. We want to spend time with you. We don't want to just give you a high five. Hey, it's so nice, meet, nice meeting the Messiah. Hope you have a good time in your ministry. They wanted nothing more than to spend time with him. So they asked Jesus, where are you staying? We want to know where you're staying. And Jesus responded, come with me, you will see and they spent time with him. They spent the rest of the day. It's even believed that they spent the night with him. They wanted so badly to be near Jesus that they spent a lot of time with him. And in a lot of ways, they just invited themselves. They wanted nothing more to be with Jesus. And so that's our takeaway from this second part. We want to run to Jesus as disciples, as we make disciples, as we're part of the disciple-making process in our community. We want to start by, we want to run to Jesus. That's what I want to see in young disciples in Southeast Asia. We want them to run to Jesus. And the second thing that's acted on here, we want to be near Jesus. Spending daily time with him in prayer, in studying his word, in, um, in hearing what he has to say, and gleaning on his character, letting him speak into our lives, asking him, Lord, in my life, how would you guide me? How would you direct me? Open up opportunities to share the gospel with people. Lord, be a part of our lives. And in doing so, we will become more like Jesus. So be near Jesus. Um, an example from the field is from my friend Sam. He's a Muslim background guy, so he grew up Muslim. He's only been a Christian for a few years now. He's a part of a small group of believers uh, on a hill who we call, we call it Monkey Hill. That's their uh, code name for their little neighborhood, their little village. And so it's this amazing group of young believers. Um, the one woman in the group is the best reader, and so she reads the scriptures for these young guys. And... Um, that's the wife of my buddy Sam here in this picture, in this example. And so Sam was somebody who, although he was a believer, although he spent time learning the word and growing in his faith, he wasn't always the most enthusiastic about sharing his faith. And so um, what, um, something amazing happened in his life um, where the Lord actually came to my buddy Sam in a dream. And I've heard of this happening in the Muslim world Um, Jesus is revealing himself. He's coming to people in dreams and visions. There's documented experiences of this, people having testimonies of Jesus in in all all white coming to him or coming to speak some message. Um, There's a story in the Middle East of a man who, there's a town, uh, I think it was 100 miles away, and he wanted uh, access to the truth. 
God came to him and said, go find the truth in a blue book. This man traveled 100 miles and in some miraculous way got, came in contact with a Bible that was far from his town. So there's, there's miracle stories like this all over the Muslim world. And my friend has one of these. It's amazing to hear. So the Lord comes to my buddy Sam in a dream. And he says, Sam, will you follow me? And Sam says, yes, I will follow you. He gets up in his dream, and Jesus takes him to this amazing lookout. It's a paradise lookout. I don't remember if it was a beach, but it was this amazing view, and he got to be near Jesus. Uh, I don't remember what Jesus said to him, if Jesus taught him, but he got to be in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and asks him, and they're, as they're looking out on this beautiful landscape, he says, Sam, will you follow me? And Sam says enthusiastically, yes, Jesus, Lord, I will follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. And just like that, my buddy Sam's dream ended. And he, when he woke up, he said he wanted nothing more than to be with Jesus again. He wanted nothing more to be in that paradise-like dream and be sitting next to Jesus, be in Jesus' presence. And so it was a really encouraging opportunity for him. It was an, an amazing experience for him. Since then, he's been on fire um, sharing sharing the gospel with friends and family and neighbors, um, something that he wasn't doing often. And so he's been greatly encouraged from it. And the reason I share his story is to connect that amazing desire that came about in his life of being near the Savior, being near Jesus. And so that's, that's our connection also is we have the privilege, we have God's word. And I want to challenge you this morning, challenge all of us, myself included, be near Jesus. Um, and on this topic of, of disciple-making, I do want to highlight that these first two, these are two of three we've gone over in, in the disciple-making process that are simple things, but the first two aren't about reaching out to others yet. These first two points of running to Jesus, that's personal. I have yet to be face-to-face -face with somebody else. Running to Jesus. Being near Jesus. A, a quiet devotional time of daily time. Praying with Him. Spending time in His Word. Studying what He has to say in the New Testament. Being near Jesus. Those are both personal things in the discipleship-making process. And the third one is the overflow of those first two. The third one is bringing people to Jesus. And so we see in the last part of that passage where Andrew is revealed. He's, he's the one disciple that's actually named at the end of the passage. The other one, we don't know who it is. It's speculated. But Andrew is named, and his brother is named also. And so Andrew is the, is the brother who urgently brings a loved one to meet Jesus. So he had this overflow of obedience. He was overjoyed with finding the Messiah. He wanted to take his brother, he wanted to take a loved one to see the Messiah. And so that's what we read in verse 40. There's one of these disciples, he left their, their teacher, left John. It was Andrew, Peter's brother. And the big reveal is that we know later in the story in Jesus' ministry who Peter is. Peter is, he becomes a leader among the disciples. He even says he will, Jesus says he will build his church upon Peter. And so in verse 41, the standout action we should see, that we should follow, it says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. This is a big, this is a big step in discipling. This is a big step in making disciples. You want to see action. You want to see how the good news has impacted someone's life. If they care enough, if they want to take it to family and friends, this is the greatest news in the world. We've found the Messiah. And that's what Andrew does here. Uh, it's something that I look for when I'm sharing the gospel with people. If people are responsive, whether they believed or not, are they interested enough to even bring it up to family and friends? That's something that I'm looking for 
um, when I'm part of when I'm a part of disciple making in Southeast Asia. And so, um, this what we see here also is Andrew has two actions. So he 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 comes to the first thing he does is he runs to his brother. He runs to his brother and shares, "We found the Messiah. We know where he is. We've confirmed it's the Messiah." And what he does second is he brings his brother Peter. We don't see Peter's reaction. We don't see enthusiasm from Peter. There's, um, honestly, reading it in preparing for this, it's almost as if Peter is a blank slate. I, I imagine it that way, but, but really, we don't know Peter's response. All we know is that Andrew is so excited, he's so encouraged, he's so fired up about this, that he would drag his brother to the Messiah. Say, we found him. We found the Messiah. And so Jesus interacts with him. Jesus says, you are going to be Cephas. That will be your name, which translates to Peter. Um, but, w- but what we see here is that Andrew's faith, Andrew's faith of being encouraged by the Messiah and bringing others to the Messiah. That's what we have here. Um, one of my buddies, Hank, from Southeast Asia on our little island, he's, again, a Muslim background guy. Um, he's from another hill that we've named Worm Hill uh, for whatever reason, but... He has, he has a really encouraging experience also. So Hank, we came in contact with him when we were doing a, like a prayer walking type of day. But we do it on motorcycles. We'll go through villages and we'll pray for villages. Uh, it's under our reason for being on the island, which is a, it's a tourism business. And so when we get face-to-face with people, we tell them, hey, we're part of this tourism business on the island. Do you have any waterfalls in your neighborhood? Do you have any you know, beautiful rice fields that we, we could bring tourists to? Do you have any restaurants, local restaurants with local flavors um, that we could come try? And so that's our way of getting face-to-face with people. But what we do is we use those opportunities to sit down and, and convert our conversations to gospel-centered conversations. And, and usually we can do that. It's a very open culture. And so one of these times, Hank and his family invited us into his, in his house. We were praying for his village. And we, um, we were having some coffee with him. And he actually showed us he had this uh, snake bite on his hand. He was gathering coconuts, and he had gotten bitten by a snake. And so I shared a, a miracle story with you guys last year. This is actually a different guy. This is another testament of God's work in that God will sometimes use miraculous healings to bring people to faith in himself. And so this is another guy here, um, Hank, who had this snake bite, and he still is serving us. He'd gone to the doctor, and we... Um, shared the gospel with him. So we got to know him and his family. We shared the gospel with him. We prayed for his healing, and we uh, brought some medicine back to him a few hours later. But um, as, as Hank engaged with us, we noticed that he, was, he wanted to learn more. He wanted to learn more about Jesus. He was really interested in this Messiah, this Jesus that he had heard of in, his, in Muslim teaching, but he'd never believed as was a Messiah. And so we continued coming back to Hank, and he continued learning and he had family members who heard often with us also, and they weren't as interested. They would leave the room. They would, they'd hear bits and pieces. But what happened with Hank is that Hank came to faith in the Lord. The Lord healed him from his uh, snake bite, and, and he came to faith in Jesus upon, upon hearing the gospel and continuing to learn from the Bible. And so we praise God for Hank accepting faith. But what happened is Hank went and shared his faith with his family members. He brought his uh, mother-in-law to the Lord, who at first was abrasive to the good news. He, his wife has also come to faith, and so he, he shared with family and friends. And um, they, so they have this small little group of believers, this family on, in the Wormhill village. But he, he is an example, just like Andrew, of one who heard the news of the Messiah. He ended up believing in the Messiah, so it was a little bit t- different timeline than Andrew. But 
after, upon that, taking that good news, he took it to his family and friends. He, he couldn't resist. He couldn't, he couldn't wait. He brought, people, he brought people to Jesus. And he continues to do so. And so um, you can continue to pray for Hank and his, also his faith as he continues to grow. He's actually met some persecution. One of his buddies who was interested at first ended up kind of turning him into the local uh, Muslim teacher. And it caused some problems for him, but they've all slowed down and he's been allowed to stay in the village. And um, So just could pray for his continued faith as he, uh, in a lot of ways, they are alone. And so just pray that they would continue to grow in their faith and that the message would continue to go out from Hank and his family. Uh, as you remember them, as you remember our family, please remember these, uh, these people in Southeast Asia. Please pray for them. God has used Hank mightily, and Hank has continued to be obedient to the Lord. He's, met with, he's been met with persecution, but he's uh, continued to work through it. He's continued to stay strong in his faith in the Lord. And our, again, our takeaway here, it's the same from Andrew. We can take it from the example from Hank on Worm Hill. It's to bring others to Jesus. And so I'll conclude with this today. Um, I just want to urge us all to continue to focus and observe the faith of Andrew from this passage. See, Andrew was available for the Lord. That's where it started. Andrew was with a teacher who was pointing him to Jesus. He was open to this news that the Messiah was coming. He opened himself up to the Lord, and the Lord prepared his heart. And he was available to the Lord for the coming Messiah, and he ran to Jesus when he was revealed. When the Messiah was revealed, he ran to Jesus. That's our first takeaway, run to Jesus. Andrew joined Jesus, was near him, he learned from him, and that's our second. After determining he was the Messiah, he was near Jesus. That's the same for us. Run to him, be near him, and in making disciples, bring others to Jesus. And so that's, I want to encourage us with that, with these simple steps that we see from Andrew um, and the reality is, is that we look for these in Southeast Asia. These are, apply, these are applicable in Southeast Asia, but these are the same in Los Angeles. These are the same in Southern California. To follow these steps in disciple making, bring people to Jesus. And so, run to Jesus, be near him, bring others to him, make disciples. Remembering doing so, Jesus promises he will always be with us to the end of the age. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, dying for us on the cross and making a way for us to be with the Father. You promised, Lord, you would be with us always. So please, go with us as we make disciples in Los Angeles and abroad. Holy Spirit, please continue to work in the hearts of those around us and give us opportunities to bring people to you. We pray this in your great name, Lord. Amen.